Future of Finance podcast, where finance finds its future. Hello, everybody. I'm Dominic Cobson, co-founder of Future of Finance. Welcome to our webinar, How Banks Can Make Money in the Metaverse. Just last week, we discussed why now may be the time to take NFTs seriously. Well, the metaverse is where NFTs come into their own. In the metaverse, NFTs represent possession of a virtual asset. The holder of an NFT owns it, which means they can transfer it, they can lend it, they can use it as collateral. In other words, NFTs are what make property rights possible, and it's provable rights of ownership that make it possible to buy and sell virtual assets in the metaverse. In other words, the metaverse is the place where NFTs provide the assets and the cryptocurrencies provide the cash to pay for them. And cash and assets are what markets are all about in the metaverse as elsewhere. And wherever markets are possible, of course, finance is indeed necessary. So if you thought the metaverse was for gaming or as Mark Zuckerberg seems to think uh, for connecting people to each other, think again. Uh, The metaverse is a marketplace, one where banks and brokers and asset managers and insurers can live and work and make money as well. To help us work out how that might happen, I'm joined by four people who've been thinking about the challenges and opportunities of the metaverse. Heslin Kim is co-founder and CSO at Supra Oracles, whose mission is to bring better, faster, more accurate, more secure, and more scalable off and cross-chain data to the smart contracts that power blockchain-based financial market networks. Makaya Tai Panich is the main deal sourcer and decision maker for investments at SCB10X. As chief venture and investment officer and managing partner, she's responsible for both venture capital and venture building at SCB10X. Henry Price is a theoretical physicist and quant, currently completing a doctorate at Imperial College in London, where he works on cryptocurrencies, network theory, and blockchain technology. He also advises GCX which services institutions that trade cryptocurrencies and digital assets. Rega Pryor is a partner in the global entertainment and media industry group at Reed Smith, the international law firm, where he currently specializes in clients active in the social media, virtual and augmented reality and immersive experience industries. Now, in addition to our panelists, we do of course also have you, our audience, and the five of us encourage everybody watching and listening to submit questions and comments throughout this webinar by using the Q&A functionality on the screens. Uh, I will not be saving those questions and comments up to the end, but we will use them and answer them as best we can as we go along. The intention being that you, the audience, should be an integral part of this discussion right from the outset. Now, to kick our discussion off, I'd like to begin by asking our panelists to give us an idea of what the metaverse actually is. How do we define it? I read in the last few days some very clumsy definitions of what the metaverse is, such as the metaverse is a form of parallel universe that can be accessed digitally via a screen, a computer, a mobile, or via a mixed experience of the augmented reality or virtual reality type. Another one I saw said it's a parallel world in which 3D avatars participate in social and commercial experiences. I've also read some very succinct definitions, such as this is the virtual world or the immersive cyberspace. My question is, does it matter that it seems to be so hard to actually define, to state what the metaverse actually is? Heston, could I throw that question at at you first? Does it matter that this definition of the metaverse seems so elusive? You know, I I think that it is so elusive because it's such a nascent industry right now. And the terminology itself is 
used to define a small subset of examples that I think in the future aren't going to fully define what the potentials we have are in this environment. So uh, I think the lack of uh, clarity in the definition is also because of a lack of clarity of where this is headed and what we're going to see in the future with this actual technology. So majority of the metaverses we see right now are these virtual worlds largely modeled after the MMORPGs, the multi, uh, massive multiplayer online role-playing games. We've got these virtual worlds that people um, are utilizing for e-commerce, for, for gaming, for all, all these different purposes at the moment, and that are trying to be repurposed to, to, to kind of this remote work life that we're seeing post-COVID. So I think that we have this very early understanding of what the metaverse can be. And all of us here and, and everyone maybe in the Web3 industry and, and parts of Web 2.0 are moving toward that space and slowly building what that full definition will be in the coming year or two. But I think it's so early stage now that we have very few uh, live examples of what we could you know, say are, are full iterations of what the metaverse could be. And I think, a question that would spin out of, out of this then is, you know, that I, I think I have for the other panelists as well, and maybe we can get into this now or, or later, but do you see uh, Metaverse being defined as uh, an initiative that's going to follow through in the Web 2.0 uh, path, or do you think it's going to be largely dictated and, and driven by Web 3.0? And with that in mind, I think that really clarifies, you know, what direction the Metaverse will head or utility and use cases and potential applications. Um, but, you know, I think, I think that would be a good indicator for me of, of where we stand as a, as a panel. Well, I, I certainly think that is it web 2.0 or web 3.0 is a massively important question when we'll definitely come on to that, um, Heston, possibly a bit later. But I, I'd like to pick up the point you made about this emerging from the world of multiplayer games. And I think, you know, the uninformed coming towards this, the metaverse looks awfully like a computer game. The world of Warcraft's actually been called a metaverse. Uh, you know, the gamers are the people who created these, these virtual assets and traded them inside these games for many years. I think the sandbox actually began as a game. And in fact, I find it quite hard to tell with the sandbox and with Decentraland and indeed with Axa Infinity, you know, where the game begins and the, and the and it ends and the metaverse actually begins. Um, you know, gaming experiences are clearly a very early application uh, or, or attraction inside the, the metaverse as well. So it's obvious that the metaverse owes a great deal to, to video games, as indeed the whole of decentralized finance does. You know, they, through this invention of, of the virtual economy and tokens within that virtual economy, and there's even a play to earn market these days. Um, so how is it, and, and Ty, maybe you have some views on this. I don't know whether you're a games player, but do you, do you think the, you know, is, is the metaverse the kind of revenge of the, of the gaming nerds or is the metaverse going to rapidly outgrow its origins in the gaming community? Yeah, sure thing. Um, thank you, Dominic. I think, um, I guess, based on our experience, because SCB10X, we have just launched our SCB10X headquarter in the sandbox metaverse. So I, I have to say that um, in metaverse, right, when you, when you design a building, it is not just design a building, but uh, you set a stage and you want to tell the story. And, and how you tell the story, it has a lot of way to tell it. Like uh, let's say when you show the object, it can be like all object dilapidated the object, right? And that 
kind of give the sense of um, uh, the, um, the sense of foreboding or something old or maybe spooky feeling. Even like small design like cobweb that can also you know send the message that oh it's something to be um, you know maybe like horror or, or something that you should be careful. So something like that, uh, telling the story is something that the, the game designer really used to it. Um, that, that's how they tell the story, right? It, 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 it's, it's like all blend together. And, and when you design metaverse too, how you tell the story, it's not just you know, how the building or how the environment look, but let's say non-player character, the NPC character can also tell the story. Like let's say if all these avatar uh, in your metaverse is just walking around that kind of tell you when you are when you are the avatar going into that space that oh this is probably the space to explore because everybody walking around but let's say if um, your avatar go in there and see that people actually gather all around and start trading that's probably like the space for commerce something like that about storytelling is, is what game designer very good at so i think that um that's why we see metaverse um, for the game maker, game designer, they are used to, to something like this. And we see that the early metaverse, um, it is very similar to game. So that, that's what uh, my point of view. Well, that's a very interesting way of humanizing the, the metaverse. We are always being told we are a storytelling species. And so you, mm-hmm. with that, that one simple metaphor, you've actually humanized the metaverse for lots of people. Now, Henry, perhaps I could bring you in at this point. I don't know whether being a theoretical physicist means that you know uh, about astrophysics as well. But one thing that's very obvious to me, um, reading and thinking about this uh, recently, is that the metaverse is not one place, but it's many different places. Uh, The report by Non-Fungible counted 47 uh, separate metaverses. Uh, There's a metaverse real estate investor called uh, Republic Realm. It says it owns um, virtual real estate across 24 metaverses. Um, clearly, we've got our friends at Facebook now called Meta building their own uh, metaverse. We've got Sotheby's building one to sell NFTs. We've got the Seoul Metropolitan Government in, in Korea is actually setting up a, a metaverse of its own. So is it reasonable, Henry, to think of the metaverse as a sort of a set of micro metaverses? And if so, how are those metaverses going to interconnect with each other? Are we going to end up with something like the blockchain protocols, which can't talk to each other? Or are there... Are there initiatives in hand to to change this. Um, Heston, I can see you'd like to contribute on this as well. Yeah, so there's are oracles of four, so they connect the two different chains together or even the real world. But essentially I would describe maybe the metaverse as I said, primarily built on like a token enabled economy. And it goes back to where you kind of originally start in cryptocurrencies with Satoshi. He wanted a, a ledger, a community, you know, a non-centralized history of events and ownership. And it's natural to progress that to, you know, real world items or even digital items. I mean, the native tokens, even if they're owned in digital worlds, you know, that makes a lot more sense than tokenizing things in the real world because, you know, there's already systems a lot faster and a lot more centralized that can do that. So again, I always regard blockchain more as an administrative layer for authentication and tokens are basically a way of authenticating whether you own things. So it's interesting you bring up World of Warcraft because that's the primary example used um, in the early days before Axie and some of these gaming tokens come into play. It's like, oh, how do you represent a sword? And then there's even an economy to, to sell your sword, you know, <laughs> on the open market in the world of, world of Warcraft. It's a bit of a, a bit of a mess and a bit insecure. So why not tokenize and use the existing smart card infrastructure to change it? And why not take your sword from World of Warcraft to another metaverse? So I see that 
it's not really in the interest of gaming providers to currently break down these barriers between worlds. They would make a, you know, the first people who do, it'll be a very interesting secondary market for gaming items and, and, and collectibles, which have digital value intrinsic to them. They don't need to point outwards for value. Mm -hmm. um, Heston, so do, do we, is there a risk we end up here with, with metaverses, which um, are like walled gardens, the great fear of, 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 of the early internet? as opposed to being this vast and decentralized network of, of networks. I mean, I'd, I'd like to stay with this interoperability, interconnectivity points. It strikes me as a very important one. And um, Henry's referred to oracles. Oracles are what you do. What, what's the, how are these metaverses going to hook up to each other, Heslin? I think I'm going to change my LinkedIn title now to uh, oracles. That's what I do. <laughs> I um, but I think it harks back to the Web 2.0, Web 3.0 discussion in terms of the, the walled gardens and where things are headed uh, with regard to that. I think in the Web 2 era, it's much more difficult when you have uh, centralized databases and, and private data that you're not willing to share with others to create these kind of worlds and economies like Henry's talking about um, that are all going to have their own tokens, that are all going to have their own uh, inter internal economies and, and how would you bridge these together? Um, it definitely works more so in the web 3.0 uh, space uh, when, you're, when you're aiming for a decentralization and you do have these mechanisms and infrastructure in place for this cross-chain compatibility for uh, you know, what we do at, at Super Oracles with, with bridging real world data uh, or even data from public blockchains uh, between one another. So even in the blockchain space, you, you have these typically disjunct and siloed ecosystems as per different public blockchains. Uh, the necessity of an oracle is to have those chains communicate with one, one another, um, and as well as pulling any kind of real world data, such as your, your pricing data feeds for Forex, precious metals, commodities, even things like sports data, weather data, uh, interest rate swaps data, and bringing that on chain to create interesting derivative products out of that. Now that would be applicable in the metaverse, I think, in, in a web 3.0 infrastructure, because you've got all these really interesting uh, in-depth experiences for virtualized social media. And when you have social media, people like to, um, you know, uh, give in-depth, like, like uh, Ty was exp uh, explaining, in-depth uh, experiences, you know, very uh, detailed characterizations of who they would like to be. Right, the metaverse, I think, is this uh, potential identity layer in a virtual space where people can now utilize NFTs. Uh, they can use digital items to represent who they would like to be uh, in, in a virtual world. Right, and and when you have these kind of NFTs, you have these virtual land plots. You have all this different data that that may be sitting on chain. Uh, you know, there are some very interesting analytics that can be built out of that. And how would you port that over into a dashboard, you know, to, to be able to stream, streamline all that, to clean it and filter it and make something actionable out of it or for any kind of, you know, consumer data or marketable data that you could gather from the metaverse. So that would be the Oracle use case uh, and the ability to bridge this information from metaverse to metaverse. If it is in a Web3 infrastructure, would uh, would would um, you know benefit greatly from having an oracle combine all these different segments, and that would be up to the metaverse owners or the the DAO or governance model of, of how you know how these different um, uh, sectors are, are going to uh, connect to other um, uh, potential 
players in the space. So, you know, I, I really do think it leads up to Web 2.0, Web 3.0, and, and kind of where the infrastructure is going to lay uh, with regards to that. There's still quite a lot of um, information that's not on chain. So I think we should be mindful that a lot of the stuff you see, you know, all these pictures and, and auto-generated stuff, the vast majority is not on chain. Um, so there is only literally three or four fields representing either a combinatorical version of, 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 of a picture or very, very little. And also the, you know, the legality surrounding these is it's very unclear what IP you own, um, except some of them sort themselves out. So at the moment, I would say a lot of, there's still a lot of uh, legacy or centralized systems requirements to, to run what you're saying. As I said, if you think of it more like a token enabled economy or an identity layer, that's like where the actual, <laughs> the blockchain tech sits. And then all this is already here of layer two, but there's also a hell of a lot of um, gaming stuff will, will be stuck on other servers because you can't compute a lot of complex gaming logic on a blockchain. It just simply is not possible now. So yeah, <laughs> the metaverse is, is blended. Well, it's, very, it's very interesting what you say, um, Henry, because when I was listening to Heslin talking there, it was like I, 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 what he was saying resonated with me in terms of, of bringing the physical world closer to the virtual world. These oracles are like a the wormholes which allow these two universes to, to connect with each other. The point you make about not everything being on the chain, presumably over time that problem is solved, not necessarily with blockchain technology for the reason you've just you've just pointed out. So we should we should bear that point in mind as we talk about the technologies that underlie the metaverse and metaverses later. Um, but, but Gregor, you've been very patient. I'd, I'd like to bring you in and maybe with a slightly unfair question, uh, as you've listened to um, to, to Henry and, and, and Heston and Ty, have you been thinking um, that, uh, that that something that the regulators maybe need to get involved here if this if this uh, metaverse is to grow and and flourish in the way we would all like through lots of different um, uh, interconnecting metaverses? Do we need somebody to say, well, these are the standards by which you should connect? These are the rules by which you should connect, or, or can we take the risk that we're going to end up with these self-governing entities run by the effectively owned and, and governed by their by their token holders after all we you know the computer industry is not famous um, for, um, for for being positive about standards uh, you know you can't even hook up an Android or an Apple telephone properly so it's, a, it's, a, it's an industry with a very long history of being of wanting to have walled gardens and um, whatever we think about the origins of the metaverse, maybe that kind of attitude persists. Is there a role for regulation or law here? I was, get, I was getting excited when Henry was asking about the legality of ownership in the metaverse. And I thought, ah, we'll talk about that. Um, well, do, do talk about that. Because, you know, I, think, I made a very bold claim about that at the up front there, which may be completely, complete nonsense. I mean, I see, I see the metaverse as a combination of, of different technologies you know, including game engines, including the blockchain, including devices, including a bunch of different enablers that, that allow us to create these virtual worlds. And for those of us old enough to remember Second Life, there was a big discussion about whether Second Life would have its own legal structure. And I think one law firm even tried to do that. Um, so... I see this very much similar to Web 2 when social media first became a thing. And there was always this question, does social media require a new layer of regulation? And in the early days, the answer was always no, it, it doesn't. And now if you look at social media and the increasing degree of regulation, online harms, prevention, 
uh, a, a lot of laws around misinformation, around the way that people can, can behave towards each other. I think regulators increasingly intervene as things become mass market. So if everyone started to do their, their banking in Decentraland, then you can almost guarantee that the regulator is going to be much more interested. Is as these things become more mass market, that, that a level of interest starts to be shown more by the regulators. Current laws already exist. Yeah, we, uh, we represented a big electronics company recently who took some land in Decentraland and found that there was an attempt to defraud them uh, within Decentraland. So the laws do exist and you can rely on them, but they're not really built for the metaverse because as you say, some of them are wall gardens. They are, the, you already are interacting and existing within a framework that's prescribed. I think DAOs are much more interesting because the idea of a DAO structure where the community decides and there's a kind of looser framework around which the metaverse can operate from a legal perspective, much more interesting. Mm -hmm. But if you're in a, if you're, if you take, for example, Fortnite or Axie or any you know, any game where there, there are already terms which apply and you can only behave in a certain way, if that makes sense. And as for the ownership point, I mean, look, there's tons of examples of people ripping. I mean, you will have seen the example of the June movie as an NFT. People, people simply ripping off other people's property and selling them as an NFT happens a lot. As, as with Web two disruption. There's tons of opportunity for bad behaviour if if people are inclined towards it. Can I pick up one of the points you raised a, a few minutes ago about uh, you raised it in the context of Second Life? Now these avatars are going to be our identities in in the metaverse. So it's our avatars which are actually going to transact business in the metaverse. They're going to be our nodes on the network, if you like. They're going to be our identities. Presumably going to be tied to our digital wallets. So the cash and the assets are going to flow. It's all going to be very tightly tied together. Now, is the, is the legal regulatory position of those avatars still uncertain, or do we have like digital identity laws in place which are sound for protecting our, our rights in the metaverse? As far as I know, the law doesn't really prescribe for an avatar to have a legal identity. We all have legal identities. We represent many celebrities, Jay-Z has no doubt 50 Facebook pages, but they're not all Jay-Z. Mm -hmm. So that's how I would think about it. But certainly when we are when we are all interacting on the internet, we're tracked down by our IP address and the law still applies to us mm -hmm. as individuals, but not as our avatars. Okay. Well, maybe, maybe we're getting ahead of ourselves a bit here, but you should think about, about the, the metaverse as a marketplace, how money gets into it, how transactions uh, occur between it. And Ty, maybe you have some thoughts on this. I've just said that, that, that we're gonna be represented by our avatars inside this metaverse. We're gonna hold our cash as cryptocurrency in our digital wallet. We're gonna hold our virtual assets, including NFTs in our, in our wallets as well. And those are gonna be exchangeable between digital wallets. Uh, we'll come to the question whether you need banks and, and other people to help with that. But um, is my is, is my understanding of how this metaverse is going to work as a marketplace correct? We're avatars, mm. we have our digital wallets, and assets and cash flow between those digital wallets. Is that how it's going to work? Yeah, so for example, I have my avatar in the sandbox. 
Uh, yeah, you saw it on your film. It was, you looked very elegant. Very <laughs> athletic too, jumping around. Yeah. That, that's not really me. I'm not really athletic at all. Um, so uh, in the sandbox, right, I have to create um, account that associate with the, the sandbox. And that I have my avatar that associate with that account. And then I also have uh, a digital wallet, which is uh, my MetaMask that I link to that account. So if I want to spend on anything, I can use uh, my crypto from the wallet that I have. And, and, and so like, uh, for example, when, when our team um, want to explore the sandbox and at the time there was like alpha pass at uh, the first phase. So uh, we, we actually like use my avatar to go play around, go around the sandbox, you know, compete and, and um, tick off the box on different part. And, and then after we finish all that, we could get like uh, 1000 cents as a reward. So that uh, sand, for example, is a currency within the sandbox. And of course, in Decentraland, there's another currency, right? Uh, mana. So each of Metaverse right now is like its own country come with uh, their own governance, you know, their own currency, um, the way to do things. In the future, it's possible that, um, you know, like, like Heslin talk about that it can interoperate just like in DeFi, you can have bridges go across, right? And, and the asset or the information can be transferred between different metaverse. Um, marketplace is definitely needed because like if you want to, um, to trade the asset that you already have, or if you create the asset and then uh, you want to sell that, you need a marketplace. It can be the marketplace within that metaverse that you create the asset or else in the future, if um, everything is interoperate between different metaverse, you can sell in the marketplace in another metaverse as well, right? And, and after you sell, you probably get the currency that uh, maybe from that metaverse mm-hmm. um, or maybe like uh, it can be, you know, the cryptocurrency like Ethereum, for example, that um, maybe you can also use within that metaverse because um, for, for the sandbox, you can also buy land with Ethereum or you can buy land with sand. Um, but if you really want to, um, you know, use all those currency in your real life, you have to off-ramp it. And that is where the bank coming from because, you know, to, to off-ramp and to get like uh, the real world currency like US dollar, you need, you need a bank to be in place for that. So I think um, you know we we still um, in very very early development. Um, all these pieces are still not really in place, and and there's still a lot of um, step that you need to go around in order to um, do many things. So I think um, Dominic, regarding your question about you know is is uh, is the metaverse a marketplace, um, and and Ty speaking towards some of the infrastructure that's not in place yet, but also going through the process of what it was like to set up a sandbox account, um, have a wallet, have your assets associated with that. And I think interesting news that came out recently is that Novi has you know somewhat pivoted, and now the wallet that they're creating is focused on uh, allowing uh, NFTs and Instagram, and then are also focused largely on e- e-commerce. Um, and the stablecoin that they've worked with is, uh, is licensed in the U.S. as a bank, uh, the, the entity Paxos, that's created the USDP stablecoin. 
and the ability to get fiat on and off ramps with USDP uh, and then interacting with that through the Novi wallet. And so, you know, I think this infrastructure is being put in place, utilized for a widespread market and demographic integrating with um, social media that exists now, and then seeing how they can bridge these types of assets, this type of uh, digital identity that's paired to a particular wallet, and then move that into the metaverse space, um, you know, as they develop some of the technology further. And so, yeah, I think that the marketplace is an initial stepping stone towards, uh, you know, garnering this this larger um, uh, this this larger platform that that's probably just at such early stages that it's this uh, this uh, earlier stage infrastructure that that needs to be put in place before we actually you know see everything live and in action. Well, I mean, irrespective of, of whether the the infrastructure is in place to make it easy to get in and out of this metaverse and do business inside the metaverse, and you're quite right to allude to that. In you know, this, this transactions are happening now. I mean, I, I read this non fungible report in which they said there are 133,500 sales took place Ooh. in the metaverse last year, and 80% of those um, made 89% fact of those transactions made money for people. People were selling real estate. Um, I think they were selling you know wearables and things for their for their avatars. Um, I, I think what puzzles a lot of people, particularly, is the is the virtual real estate thing. And Gregor referred to um, to a client of his who's who's been defrauded um, through trying to buy virtual. To an outsider, it, it's maybe a very naive question. People think, well, why are they buying this this land? Why does it have a value? After all, in the virtual world, um, the supply of land, unlike the real world, is kind of infinite. Um, you, you know, it's not that they don't make it anymore. You can make it make it forever. And the sandbox is recording over 16,000 virtual landers. Now, why are they doing that? Some of them will be doing it for speculation, but I imagine most of them are doing it because they want to create some kind of content inside the uh, inside the metaverse. In other words, they want to sell something or buy something there. Um, can, can I can I answer that yeah. question, Dominic? No, because um, actually the land is limited. In the sandbox, for example, there's a finite land. And after it all got sold out, then um, it will only come from secondary transaction. And, and so I think it's supply demand. If people feel that um, you know, in the future, there will be more and more companies and brands coming into Metaverse. And uh, in order to build anything, right? Build stores or build headquarters, they have to have land in order to build that. And so people think that, oh, this is just, just like real but, estate but, but in Ty, real life. I mean, if, if, as you say, the secondary market is bigger than the primary market, is there yeah, a- Yeah, definitely secondary market. Yeah, that's the thinking. objective. I yeah. Well, it, it is, but in, if it we, is. See, we see in NFTs, the problem we see is that actually that means there's a lot of professional traders active in the marketplace who are starting to, if you like, live at the expense of retail investors who are being drawn into the market and then exploited, if you like, by professional mm -hmm. investors. We discussed this at our webinar last week. Is that a problem? Henry, I think Henry wants to say something. And then I, I no, no, I was about to say, obviously, having a retail market is, is you know, so again, our, our business is B2B exchange only, so they're regulated. And the FCA has come quite hard. I mean, obviously, we're UK based, so we're talking about the FCA, but broadly speaking, you know, retail markets, uh, you know, are not to be trifled with. Usually, regulators are pushing people out. And this kind of smacks to me of the 2017 ICO bubble. There are some legitimate projects involved. I said some of them turned out to be quite large chains, but you know, protecting retail from from you know speculating on, on things that they, they don't have full knowledge of 
uh, there's a lot of there's no regulation there's you know fully they, they can be fully taken advantage of because it's completely outside the regulatory perimeter um so that this is you know part of the consolidation but it's a completely new asset class so you can play a lot of old tricks that used to be played which is not not good for retail okay now we, but within we have... this there is something you know that's the, the nature of these things it's within a fraction of a fraction of these that there's there's something quite novel uh, about what they're trying to do now, now we've been asked a question um by a member of the audience and it's it, it's a good one it's it's really the, the topic we're, we're talking about we're taking quite a long time to get there but his his or her question is can you speak more about the role of banks in this metaverse marketplace are they essential in, in any way what roles can a bank play to service the user base inside the metaverse is it limited to reproducing analog products and services what are some of the innovative approaches to to generate revenue? So, if if I could if I could ask and and um, Heston, you're probably best placed to, to answer this. And, and and Ty, I'm sure you've got views. You're part of a bank after all. I can see banks. We've talked about all these transactions happening. Uh, we can see banks are needed to make payments. Uh, we can see they're needed to exchange these stable coins, these um, uh, these cryptocurrencies, and, and maybe we haven't even touched on this yet. These central bank digital currencies, once these become available, so there's kind of usual banking activities, running digital wallets, making payments, exchanging currencies, and so on. But maybe also lending. Maybe they can use some of these assets as collateral. So I, I, personally, I can see lots of reasons for banks to to, to do interesting things in in, in this world. Um, but what would be your answer to our our audience member, Heslin? Uh, yeah, I think that uh, Ty is probably the ideal panel member to speak about this. But but really, I think what's going on here and why we've seen so much engagement uh, from the banks in this sector is that there's this cross-pollination going on between crypto and between traditional financial markets. Um, and we're seeing that there are entities that are moving from the Web3 world and trying to make uh, real world examples and tangible physical um, statements about, about their place and prominence in the industry. So seeing crypto.com go out, FTX go out and, and brand themselves on top of sports stadiums. You know, I think that's a statement to, to show what kind of, uh, what kind of place they, they serve in the industry. Now, vice versa, I think that uh, banks moving into the metaverse is, is a similar positioning, right? And uh, the, the play here is really uh, a, a much earlier stage demographic, uh, getting involved with users who are going to be exposed to uh, this early stage infrastructure that groups like Novi and other institutions are building out in regards to uh, this NFT sector and, and um, you know, creating these digital IDs. Uh, one thing that's largely important is that that doesn't exist right now in Web 3.0 is uh, the fact that you can't insure your assets and that's, you know, uh, utilizing a bank, uh, you know, you, you have this security uh, that your assets, uh, at least up to a certain value, are insured by the bank itself. And right now within the Web 3.0 space, uh, you know, we, we do have some instances of insurance that, uh, that can provide covers for, for your wallet or hot wallets. But uh, you know, it, it's largely still up to that protocol and that protocol could get hacked as well. So I think there are instances uh, of insurance that are they're very much needed in this space. And then also, like you mentioned, this these borrowing and lending opportunities of the, the land itself and, and how it's applicable uh, to these market instances uh, to, to, you know, build out these new types of uh, business verticals and scenarios. So um, we'll, we'll see where it heads, but yeah, Tyler, I'd love to hear, you know, 
what led SCB into building a virtual plot? And, and uh, is there is there an idea of monetizing it? Uh, is that uh, is that where you guys are headed with that, or is it a marketing you know a great way to get involved with uh, the the younger generation? Well, Hesin, I wish I have a very glamorous reason why we actually build um, headquarter in Metaverse, but. Uh, I have to say that um, it's not as glamorous as you think. Uh, partly because we invest into the sandbox, uh, we really think that um, metaverse, um, you know, the, the future of metaverse um, could be huge, and um, brand and companies can use metaverse as a new way to acquire customer because more and more people spend time online, and and right now, you know, they just spend time on internet right and, and e-commerce but in the future these people might actually move into metaverse because uh, there might be a potential for a lot of activities to happen in there and um, you know your daily activities might actually be moved into metaverse and 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 so for us we after we invest we wanted to show as well that uh, we have technical capability and creativity that we could um, build into metaverse and showcase what can happen with your imagination and and so that that's what happened um you know when when we wanted to build into the sandbox we talked to uh, the founder of uh, the sandbox and he suggested to us you know build something very creative something that cannot actually be in the real world like something floating in the air or something like floating on the water because you know there's no physical limit there's no physics no gravity at all <laughs> there's no like sense of um safety because you can do anything um, in Metaverse, so just, just build. So that's what we did. Um, for us though, we think that um, in the future, there's so many things that we could do uh, regarding to bank in Metaverse, but uh, that also depends on the regulation. And, and Dominic asked this question before too, because uh, the regulators are quite, are quite concerned, right? All this concept about cryptocurrency, NFT are very new, and there's a lot of um, retail investor that not really quite sure what's going on and, and they might um, be uh, too much speculative and lost money and, and of course the regulator did not want that to happen but for us we think that like uh, first first of all you know bank could have like a branch in metaverse that we could offer like a financial services related activities in there um, you could like um, deposit the money just like online right but then it's you can do it with your avatar in metaverse and then you know it show up in your bank account or you can actually have um uh, the investment center inside the metaverse and people can come with your avatar you know talk to avatar of like uh all these like teller or bank branch uh, uh investment advisor and you know get advice things like that so so that's that's quite simple but exactly like uh, you think in the future, it can also be uh, lending, borrowing, right? A uh, bank could take the NFT collateral from people who uh, create all those assets inside Metaverse and um, you know, can do appraisal and then uh, can give um, the loan based on that and uh, can also provide insurance too because like um, you know, all this NFT inside Metaverse or the land itself can become like a very valuable in the future. So, so that type of thing um, could come into play, but it also depends on the regulation. For example, in Thailand, um, bank cannot own digital asset. So for us, when we build into Metaverse, we actually did not mean all those digital building block into NFT because 
NFT is considered a digital asset, for example. So we are waiting for the regulators to um, you know, look through all these and, and come up with the digital asset framework that might allow bank to own digital asset. Okay, so to, to, to answer the question directly, which our member of the yeah. audience has asked, what banking services are currently offered today? What will be available in the future? Can you open an account? For example, can you apply for a loan? I think we have seen the Korean banks open branches in the in the metaverse already, and you can you can open an account with an avatar and you can apply for a loan from, from the same avatar. So I think the answer to those questions is is yes in certain jurisdictions right now. And I think you've been saying that that's part of the future plan of of, of the Siam Commercial Bank in the metaverse as well. Ty, is that right? Yes, we we would love to. Yeah. In okay. the future, when the regulator allow. Yeah, and we, we've been, asked, well, okay, well, and maybe Gregor, you have some thoughts on, on, on how these current regulations map. But here's a very interesting question. How do you think you can handle KYC in this virtual environment? You can't just have anybody wandering to the metaverse and opening an account uh, with, a, with an anonymous um, avatar of their own. You kind of need to run the KYC, AML, CFT, sanction screening checks to make sure it's not Vladimir Putin trying to uh, recycle his... Uh, ill-gotten gains uh, in a in a Thai or Korean bank, don't you, Gregor? What's the? How do you do? How do you do KYC in the metaverse? And what I think you do it in the same way you do it online today. Really, I mean, the, those rules are not going to change. Well, that's identifying not good. someone good. It's very inefficient and very expensive. It, well, yeah, I mean, I, well, we, we, we see it a lot in our business. There's a question around the extent to which regulators will ultimately get comfortable with you know, a digital badge or digital identifier for individuals at some point. Seems to me that's a logical thing to happen in future. But banks, there are some... banks could do it, couldn't they? Banks could issue digital identities in the metaverse. Mm. Why not offer it as a service? Well, it would need to be accredited or in some way approved, I imagine, right? But they're doing, the work. Cool. They're doing the work already, aren't they? Yeah. The, the big other weakness of blockchain is the fact that it's all public information. So you're always going to have an off-chain entity holding some information because you simply don't want your unique identity on the blockchain. <laughs> so there's kind of a conflict like instantly with these systems. But I would also just quickly add that in terms of what we do for the exchange, we check all the funds via chain analysis and on-chain tools. So there's actually, in some ways, the funds are more uh, more clearly tra traceable than, than in fiat. So there's a you know a complete audit trail back to genesis of every coin used. I mean, unless you go through a mixer, which uh, there's been some uh, interesting FCA, you know, they're interested in regulating such uh, mm -hmm. objects as well. But I would just say that the money's clean, but the but the public nature of blockchains means that the identity you you have on chain is actually you don't want it. So there's there's, there's always going to be this duality where uh, you, you simply can't have a public identity with, which contains everything because it would be a nightmare. Uh, but, but why can't your avatar be a fully customer due diligence approved, um, but anonymous person? It can, but you have to ask someone to sit in the middle. That's why PayPal became so powerful in, in Web2, is because everyone but, thought, oh, but, let's have this peer-to-peer -peer money. But they need to have someone to say, yes, this is the guy, and he has the money, uh, if you're going to go down that route. That's why I so there is the, the, the bank. potential that you know there are existing KYC AML companies and run checks on blockchain uh, public addresses. And then you can tie your blockchain public address to your KYC AML information, just as you would when you, uh, you send in your documents for your proof of address alongside your passport, alongside your, 
<clears throat> physical ID, you know, and you're able to actually tether essentially a public key that you own to your identity. And in that sense, you would be able to replicate both the assets that you hold in that wallet, which would be your fiat on and off ramps based stable coins. It would be the NFTs that you hold that represent the digital items that you interact with in the metaverse. It would also be your ability to log into the metaverse using that public key and any assets that you might hold that represent that token economy that Henry was talking about previously to actually you know, go about uh, engaging in that e-commerce market, marketplace that exists in, in the metaverse side. So really, it really does depend on the ability to have that initial wallet infrastructure in place that aggregates all that those pieces of data infrastructure that you're going to need to interact with, the, with this environment. And what you want that wallet to do is also be uh, cross-chain and compatible with these multiple metaverses that sit on different, different blockchain infrastructures as well as Web2 uh, centralized databases. So... You know, I, I think it uh, largely harks back to that that infrastructure piece, that wallet piece, and making sure that's uh, cross cross chain compatible and has uh, the the digital uh, identi identification certificate. Okay, well, well, we'll come back to that question very very soon about um, cross chain. But Gregor, I'd, I'd, I'd like to come back to you because I, I I interrupted you, for, which I apologise. But banking is not just about opening accounts, money transmission, making loans, helping borrowers. There's also a big securities industry, which is which is operated by banks. And tell me, are tokens and are NFTs in particular, are these securities? Huh. You're talking here of Europe or, or UK or, or UK. I've, I've been asked that question about 500 times this year, I think. Um, it, it, the short answer is it depends on how they are used. So there is a test that I think most people are familiar with and that the SEC puts towards, you know, whether... An NFT is, uh, I forget the different limbs of the test, but essentially... This is the Howie um, test, right? Yeah, the Howie test, right? And whether, whether there is a the pursuit of commercial gain. And, you know, there's many different NFT models that we're seeing in the marketplace, especially for kids' collectibles. You know, for example, if there's a, an NFT marketplace for kids' collectibles, could they be securities? Well, it depends if people are trading them for the pursuit of financial gain. The answer is they can be secure or deemed to be securities and you could have a problem. Um, uh, the US regulators are probably the furthest ahead on this, I think, compared to any other country. Certainly it's the most developed law we've seen. Mm -hmm. Okay, let, let's, um, we're into the sort of last quarter of our, of our discussion. Let's talk a little bit about the technology which you brought up. Um, a minute ago, um, Hesda. Now, clearly we're in the foothills of, of what the metaverse is capable of. And the technology, it reminds me a bit of the early mobile phones or perhaps even the early days of the internet. There's not a lot of speed. There's not a lot of scalar, scalability because we don't yet have the, the bandwidth. We don't even have 5G networks in all locations. We don't necessarily have the computing power. Technology is clearly getting better. But at the end of the day, you're going to have this headset on your face and you're going to be holding these 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 devices um, and if I look at all of the all of the metaverse platforms I've looked at we talked about sand, sandbox and decentraland there's crypto voxel somnium uh, nft worlds house cabal all these they're all being built on the the ethereum blockchain that's where where all this this began and we already have problems of interoperability between different 
blockchain protocol. So we've got a, we've got a sort of perfect storm here of, of insufficient telecoms bandwidth, insufficient computer processing and storage power possibly, but also this problem of incompatible blockchain uh, networks. And this thing doesn't work unless people, they buy this space and they can go on there and start creating compelling content, which people wish to either play or use or watch or sell or buy or lend or borrow. So this thing can't work without really powerful supporting technology. And, and how far away are we from that? Um, I, I suspect, Henry, you have some views on this, but Heslin, what, what's, your, what's your take? Are, are we close or not? I think that's a great question. Um, I think just like the development of mobile phones, right? We, we had iterations of uh, those initial Motorola, you know, we had those, those brick models that were uh, ridiculously uh, too, too large and they, they weren't transportable and they weren't mobile. And it, it wasn't uh, uh, simple at all to use and very uh, segmented towards, towards different uh, socioeconomic classes. You move into this space where the technology becomes cheaper, it becomes more widespread. You you have um, you know uh, features and customer experience UI UX that get enhanced, and over time you've got at least the ability to have a small Motorola, and then SMS becomes important and more use case, and then you have the ability to have the, the flip phones that have touch face interface screens, and now you have color-based screens. And you know, then you have the advent of something like the iPhone, which takes it, takes it into an entirely new perspective and, and new world of application with a mobile device. And I think the stage we're at now with regards to metaverse is that you know, 1980s brick, <laughs> brick of a phone uh, that, that you used to see, right? It, it's not, um, not that user-friendly. I, you know, are you going to use it, Dominic? I, <laughs> I definitely, you know, I've tried it a few times and I, I'm not going to be throwing on uh, uh, an Oculus uh, anytime soon for my daily um, activities. But where I do see things headed is this convergence of AR, this convergence of VR, and then this, uh, this movement towards XR, which was, which was this, um, you know, uh, ability to, to, to merge all these sectors together. I think an interesting technology that we will see in the future that will play a very large component into metaverse is, uh, you know, things like what Elon Musk is working with Neuralink, and how will Neuralink, uh, you know, uh, impact the ability to interact with digital worlds, digital content, and where will we see things like that headed with the ability to interface with AR, with with VR, uh, you know, directly from from an implant. You know, and I think that's roughly 10 to 15 years away for medical purposes. But, you know, in a 20 year trajectory, where do we see those implants impacting the uh, interaction we have with, with digital worlds? So, yeah, I think we're at the very early stages, which is why, uh, you know, we're, we're not seeing a, a, a mass uh, push for, for retail and consumers to get involved with these, these existing applications, but why there is this... Uh, large-scale potential and why everyone's claiming that this is a, a great land grab opportunity to get involved with uh, at an early stage. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> yeah, I don't want to be the whole like, wizard behind the curtain thing, but you said we, we've cut this whole conversation without really talking about smart contracts, like what they do, right? So they're mitigation of counterparty risks. So the first initial smart contract is an exchange contract and without having a, a third party involved, you say, I put this token here, this token here, and if this is the correct conditions, then they do a swap. 
to you get this is a decentralized exchange because you know we're imitating real life right so this is the first marketplace is a decentralized exchange. essentially token here token here does that match hundred thousand dollars for this okay great you get your crypto kitten you get your nft and swap mm-hmm. right that is the primary the pri- like primordial elements right and then you get interesting things like as i said Gregor mentioned like DAOs. how do you implement more complicated uh, infrastructure and rules and laws so these are kind of the primitives that grow and grow but all the stuff with the metaverse, I find it's more, as I said, the, the wizard behind the curtain is purely these smart contracts and how complicated they can get and how, how many interactions they can mediate. Because ownership of the land is purely just saying, okay, you're an allotted in a ledger, which is obviously decentralized, which makes it kind of cool that you don't have to go to a, a third party to validate the ownership. So, but this is the actual core. This is the, the guy behind the curtain. And then everything, everything on top is the secondary layer. So I think, think of it more like that. And then banks can even come in just as giving you a stable coin. For example, just backing one side of the trade mm-hmm. in, a, in a currency that isn't all over the place is one thing. Um, and then you can mediate loans like that. You can go to, because mm-hmm. it, it's completely counterparty. Uh, it, it doesn't need a counterparty. So okay. you can also get loans and, on conditions. Gregor, you must contribute to this. I mean, the wizard behind the curtain, is there doesn't need to be a lawyer and a regulator in front of the curtain. I think Henry's description is brilliant, actually. I think... Um, yeah, the potential of smart contracts and the ability just to be able to transact and as he, as he very cleverly puts it, you know, ameliorate that counterparty risk. That's what the smart contract is capable of doing. And as they, as they evolve and become, you know, there are law firms springing up now who solely concentrate on smart contracts. And so, that, so, you know, our community is figuring out, oh, wow, this is really going to be the future. And I'm quite convinced that that executable idea that you can just go, wow, okay, a bank could lend immediately, assuming that those criteria are satisfied. You don't need to go through any approval process. The smart contract just does it for you. That's super exciting, I think. Well, could I, can I, can I, can I, Kai, you, you, you go. Oh, sorry. Yeah, no, I just <laughs> wanted to talk about in terms of builder perspective. Uh, it's very, very early um, metaverse because the tooling is still very primitive. And if you expect that, um, you know, all these people are coming into metaverse and going to build in mass, the tool right now are definitely yeah, not exactly. Yeah, yeah. It, it's, it's very, very primitive. Um, like, for example, my team, uh, we actually design everything. We, we actually hire architect and graphic designer um, into SCB10X in order to do this uh, building of the headquarter. And the architect, they decide everything outside. And when they want to transport and do it like in a walk-sale version, it just didn't work that way. <laughs> because like the, 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 the way like the walk-sale, um, you know, walks edit and, and uh, game maker tool, um, it, it, it didn't enable EC build at all. And beyond just the tooling, you know, the, the demand, um, the platform is still not be able to take in a lot of users all at once because like uh, when we were building and that night um, Sandbox started Alpha Pass season two. And then suddenly that tons of people came in into the platform to play. And that night basically everything crashed. We couldn't build anything. And, and so, you know, if you're going to um, be prepared for um, the mass coming into Metaverse, the infrastructure is not yet uh, be able to support the, the demand that come in. 
Yeah, okay. yeah. So can we I, are so early. Ty, in that case, can I ask mm -hmm. you a question? As you, as you look across your investment portfolio, are you betting mainly on the people building the infrastructure in the old Californian gold rush metaphor, the, the shovel sellers, or mm -hmm. are you betting on the people who are actually building metaverse platforms? As you look at your portfolio, where do you think the investment opportunity lies? Yeah, in general, like uh, we like to invest in infrastructure because uh, in the new area like uh, crypto, blockchain, NFT, metaverse, um, yeah, it, 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 you're not going to uh, make a mistake investing in infrastructure because it's so new. And, and you know, with all the innovation that happened, you need a lot of uh, good infrastructure as a building block. For, for me, um, in Metaverse, um, I think there's a lot of potential in, you know, tooling um, in like uh, the builder themselves. Um, you know, all these, uh, there's a lot of demand right now, for example, uh, ones that uh, we we showcase our Metaverse headquarters. There's so much demand coming in, asking us whether we could build the Metaverse headquarters or store or restaurant or something like that for them as well. So Metaverse builder, that would be very interesting um, business to actually invest in. But, but beyond that, it shouldn't be just consulting or project one-to-one -one type of business, it should be like uh, you building infrastructure, building tool, so that you can actually build multiple of project all at once using not so many people. So I'm looking for that type of a uh, startup to actually invest in. Okay, well I expect you'll be inundated with with, with calls now from people looking to for, for investors. Um, so <laughs> yes. Or if if you want us to decide your headquarter or restaurant or store, please contact us as well. We're into our last two or three minutes now, and I, I, sadly we, we, could, we could keep going, but I'd like just to, to conclude by asking each of you a, a sort of futuristic uh, question, which is that, and I'll lay my own cards on the table here, you know, I, I'm, I, I'm very excited by this, I kind of believe in this, and I believe in computing, as, as predicted by Alan Turing, this is going, you know, any physically possible environment can be simulated in a computer. So this to me seems like a kind of apotheosis of what he was describing all those years ago. And then I get very depressed. I see Facebook calling itself meta and looking to dominate the space. I see Bill Gates saying, well, in two or three years time, we'll all be having all our meetings in the metaverse. I go to the Second Life website and I see what one of their applications they're offering is, well, you can do a business meeting like they're selling Zoom or Microsoft Teams or Skype or something. So I'm, a, I, I'm, I'm sort of torn here by the excitement which the technology and the vision contains, but also a bit why this is going to be taken over by large corporations. And we see Adidas and Nike and McDonald's and all these people already building um, you know, shop fronts in, inside the metaverse. So is the, is the potential of this to kind of revolutionize capitalism? What Henry was talking about, about the, the power of these DAOs, the power of smart contracts, to change the way in which the entire, not just the financial economy, but the entire economy of the world actually works. Is there a risk that that vision will be, uh, will be undermined and will end up with Microsoft owning the metaverse of work and Facebook or Meta owning the, 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 the metaverse of, of, of play and Amazon owning the metaverse of, of, of shopping? Um, Henry, you go first. I'm going to ask this, each of you the same question. Yeah, I mean, I, I like the idea that this will be a new paradigm and all this stuff, but I fear that I like how it's captured people's imaginations with NFT and art because it's kind of made all this, you know, cryptography very tangible. Like I told you, these things are quite abstract. 
But I do also firmly believe that a lot of the smart contract mediated things will become hidden bureaucratic, you know, technocratic bureaucratic layers of things. They'll like settle your pension investments or make sure the fridges has the right power compared to the toaster, you know, and then we'll forget about it. So if you don't involve yourself now, you may find that large portions of, of your life may be taken over by these small activities. <laughs> so I think it's definitely right to be concerned and involved because as I said, these these smaller transactions, which are all readily automatable, will suddenly be taken by by an entity like Microsoft's obvious. They will just say, okay, well, we can we can apportion resources correctly like this. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, and use this as a gateway to like deeper understanding. But this this layer, if you lose interest, it could be the yeah, the depressing part of, of all this. Is, is you know, these these smaller parts are easily taken over uh, as like an administrator. Oh, I think, you, oh, who was that? Was it? I was just going to say, Dominic, I mean, I think the interesting thing about this space is if you think about Web2, some of the companies you mentioned are really Web2 companies. Yeah, they're vastly powerful, profitable businesses, but they really derive from Web2. And Web3 will create some new ones. Mm-hmm. And so, it, you know, it won't be, you know, Amazon will absolutely always be relevant, but it won't just be those companies, there will be new ones that will be huge. There's a reason why Andreessen Horowitz are putting just about every dollar in their fund into crypto stuff at the moment. What's the All law? Investing. Can I ask you, Gregor, what is well, the law doing to, 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 to keep up with smart contracts with DAOs? I think that, uh, yeah, I mean, I think uh, it's, so, it's so early that I think the regulators, the SEC is a good example. I think it, they're, they're doing what lawmakers always do, which is react late. But what, and, is, your, what is your profession doing? Do you, Lord Mansfield totally invent, reinvented commercial law at the end of the 18th century to take account of industrialization and the need for joint stock companies. Do we not need something very similar now? And does that not work which you and people like you could do rather than waiting for the SEC or the, or the government? I, to do I've stuff? been told for years that I'm going to be replaced by a robot. And so far, <laughs> it's not happened, right? Yeah, no, I'll <laughs> webinar on that. Don't worry, you're not going to be. <laughs> law firms are making, you know, as much money as they always have. I think, are we doing what we should be doing as a profession? There's definitely more we could be doing, working on smart contracts and being much more familiar. I don't think there's that many uh, lawyers that fully understand how smart contract works because it's not just the old law. You've got the kind of executable element, which is anathema to many lawyers. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, yeah, it's a very fair comment, Dominic. I think there's a lot more we could be doing. And the winners in my space are going to be those that innovate and get ahead of it. I'm sure of that. Uh-huh. Okay, we'll have you back to see what you've done. I'll be a robot. Robot version. I'll be a robot by then. Don't worry. Your avatar here. Yeah. <laughs> um, Ty, um, a, a word from you. Is this? Are we looking here at a total reinvention of capitalism, or is it capitalism as usual? What do you feel as an investor in the sector, Ty? Hmm. Um. I think it's going to be the, you know, the transition into the new regime, like 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 in Web Web three, right? Uh, we can read write own. In the past, we can read and write, and we don't own our data, we don't own our content. Um, I, I just think that um, it's going to be the new regime that uh, you can um, benefit from, you know, your own creation, your own creativity. Um, the builder, the user, will will be able to um, benefit from all this. Um, and everything will align in terms of um, 
incentive. Mm-hmm. The more you use, the more you create, the more you can benefit from that. Yeah. So I I would say that uh, it's it's the continuation of capitalism in a different paradigm. Thank you, Ty. That's a very encouraging message. So Heslin, you heard that we're all going to become our own creators, owners, directors, customers. The vision of of DeFi and of of the decentralized future, the DAOs, the world of smart contracts. So it's not going to be, the metaverse is not going to be business as usual, just in 3D. What's your your expectation looking forward? I think an interesting to to preface that uh, answer with is... uh, the you know the the concept of this uh, walled gardens discussion we had right at the very beginning and the fact that Meta itself has just recently sold their entire blockchain division Diem to Silvergate right and if Meta is going to position themselves as the forefront of metaverse even though we have Web three iterations that claim to be is that really what we're going to see mass scale uh, consumers utilizing as metaverse right I think it all depends about branding and marketing. It's not always about uh, the best tech or, or the most uh, utilitarian or, or libertarian tech that, that will survive. So, you know, it is going to be a dominant factor. And I think there's going to be these two components of, uh, you know, who's going to take advantage and, and claim ownership of Metaverse. And as long as Web3 can, you know, have its foothold and maintaining uh, a, a semblance of um, what Henry was talking about, you know, there, there's still the instances where uh, traditional finance players can get involved just through the infrastructure layer, just through having digital custodians, just through making sure that they have, uh, you know, uh, KYC providers who are able to onboard public addresses, investing into the wallet infrastructure, any of these base pieces that can be done now. A metaverse is just uh, a user experience and a new way for a customer to get involved with the the products that a bank could, could offer in, in a new way, right? And um, where do I see it headed? I, you know, I, I think there'll be both divisions and we'll, and we'll see how things play out as far as hardware is concerned and as far as, you know, mass consumers uh, are concerned and which, which they choose and what's, what's the easiest to utilize. So I'm all, I'm all for the Web3 movement, uh, you know, but, uh, but I can be uh, a, a bit... Uh, optimistic and pessimistic at the same time that uh, that we'll, we'll, we'll make it at the top uh, of things, so. Well, um, sadly, I think we must, we, must, we must stop there, but I think all of our, our panelists have said in their very different ways that this, the metaverse, is the decisive battle now between um, the, uh, the digital past and the digital future. It's up to all of us to play our part in doing that, so we all have a responsibility to understand what is going on and play our part in it, and we can effect uh, really meaningful change. That's an optimistic note to end on. I'd like to, to thank our panelists, not only for that optimistic note, but to thank them personally for taking part. Heston Kim from Super Oracles, Gregor Pryor from Reed Smith, uh, Ty from uh, SCB 10X, and of course, Henry Price from Imperial College. Thank you also to our audience uh, for your questions and your comments. Uh, we'll be returning to this subject uh, sometime soon, because I think it's uh, going to be a long running theme for us. Mm-hmm.